<laughs> so good. Welcome back, everybody. Another episode of Lifestyle Medicine. I was going to record this episode next week, but I just came off as of last night. I'm recording this on the Friday. I just came off the 96-hour fast, and it's pretty fresh on my mind. So I figured I would dive into it now while it's fresh and everything is just really on the forefront of my thinking and my experience. So I'm going to relay everything that happened. I'm going to break down the whole process and a few different ideas for you guys to consider if you're going to partake in a 96-hour fast or something that's shorter. Or if you're just thinking of taking up fasting or exploring this realm in any capacity, I think it's a great it's a great recap because I think personal experience, at least in my life, reigns supreme. I love theory and dogma. Chinese medicine has a lot of it. And at the same time, I really trust experience. I trust people's experience and I want to hear what people are actually doing and living. So that's what I'm trying to do. And I trust my experience more than I trust theory and dogma. So um, I do have some notes. If you see me looking over here, I'm not trying to distract myself. I've just got a bunch of notes. Typically, I don't do that for the podcast. I sort of run stream of consciousness and whatever comes through, I just sort of talk about. But today, because there were so many different things, I actually took some notes, <clears throat> excuse me, and I actually have um, a number of bullet points here that I'm going to go through that I think are relevant in the context of fasting and, and my experience and then this stuff. So the first one is just my history of fasting and my experience. So initially, I was exposed to fasting in my early 20s. So there was a period in my early 20s when I was vegan. I was around 18, I started getting interested in health and I think it was because I had moved away, I'd gone to Chico State and I'd gotten to a place where I realized that my, most of my life had been bouts of exercise and athletic activity with lots of sedentary activity and video games. And when I got to college and I got into the dorms and there was a nine floor dorm with 30 girls and 30 guys per floor, video games just were a pale distant second to the social life that came with Chico State. And as such, <clears throat> I stopped playing video games from that point on. Never really touched them again. I do own a PlayStation 4, which I touch maybe three times a year, but I got it primarily because it was a Blu-ray player. And I thought if I'm gonna do that, I might as well have some capacity to play games with friends if they're into it. But in any case, I stopped playing and health became really prominent at the same time because I was kind of a heavy set kid in high school and I've always been a bigger frame, but fasting, dietary shifts, veganism, vegetarianism, macrobiotics, all these different ways of eating started to come to the forefront at around that age. And I was sort of tired of just being the heavy set kid. It, it wasn't good for my psyche. It wasn't good for my body. My dad, when he was still alive at that time, was you know pretty firm about it too. And he was just looking out for me. He wanted me to be healthy and to, to drop some weight. So I think around that time, I started exploring with it. And I got down to my leanest, I'd say around 24, 25. And I've never been that lean again. I haven't, I've never gotten back to that level of leanness. But it was around that time that I was tinkering with all of these things. And so back then, in my early 20s, I was doing the, the longest I've ever gone was now that I now that I'm thinking back seven days for sure I may have done a 10 day but if I did a 10 day you know I can't fully remember so I'm, gonna, I'm just gonna say seven as my longest and when I did my seven day fast the first time there were there was a there was a cleanse by a guy named V.E. Irons who apparently lived I think to be over a hundred or very close to a hundred 
And he had a, a cleanse that, um, you know, in his name, the company name, VE Irons, and they walk you through a, a process where you do a cleanse, but you're taking concentrated beetroot, some wheat germ oil. There were a few other supplements that you would take, but it came out to about, I don't know, 30 calories a day. You're fasting for all intents and purposes. So all you drink is water and you take these supplements. And then at the end of that, you do a, a colonic, a self-administered colonic, which is where you stuck, stick the tube up your butt, flush you, you know, with water. Um, let, let the bowels fill and then you dump out and you do that a few times and I ended up doing that my mom I ended up telling her about it she did it at the time and it was all about this idea of just cleansing out the body letting it take a break from digesting and eating food so when I did that I felt amazing and I remember when I was consistently fasting in my early 20s I felt collectively better my joint inflammation response was down my weight was was down and I seemed to just have a more consistent rhythm with my health when I would fast. Now, I liked fasting. It was a, it was a piece of my life. Now, fast forward as I graduated college, I leave Chico State, I moved to Santa Cruz and this is where I am thrust in not involuntarily, but by happenstance, I'm thrown into Chinese medicine school. For those of you who don't know, I never had any intention of going to Chinese medicine school. I didn't really know what Chinese medicine was. And that was different because most people that went to Chinese medicine school, the first day of school, of grad school, when they're asking people about why are you here, what are you doing, everyone had these profound experiences with Chinese medicine for the most part, and that's why they were doing it. Very eclectic backgrounds, by the way. We had a uh, Stephen Parker, if you're listening, from a boy band from Tennessee. He was, you know, a guy who totally was making a career path. We had people that had been cooks, people that had been in the medical field, EMTs, nurses, everyone. I mean, and there was, and, and some hippy dippy people that were just like, I love Chinese medicine and I want to do it. So it was a mix, but I fell into it and I fell into it through martial arts. Now, when I got to Chinese medicine school and I found it and I started really digesting the theory of Chinese medicine, Chinese medicine is not big on fasting. They're very much, they give it the hex for the most part. They see it as, as bad. You, Chinese culture is very much about sustenance and food. And I think part of it's cultural, part of it's historical. And I think when there's periods of famine, no one sees the benefit in not eating. People are just freaked out they're going to die. Now, I'm not a Chinese historian. That's sort of my take on it. I could be wrong, but that's just my sense of it. But there, there is something about Chinese medicine that says they're not into fasting, at least at the mainstream level. There might be some classical practitioners or texts that talk about it, but in the mainstream way it was presented to me in school, fasting was seen as a no-no because you're depleting your body of food and sustenance, which is how your body makes qi or vital energy. So. I think through five years of acupuncture school and you're indoctrinated with that dogma, I just, for the most part, stopped fasting. I saw it as bad as like, oh, maybe I really screwed up my spleen and you know my organs by doing that. And so I didn't, I, from 25 to 35, I didn't touch fasting because of that. And then you age, you get a little bit older. You start looking back and you start reassessing like what was working? Part of it's like, okay, yeah, I was in my 20s, right? Just tons of vital energy pumping through the body at that age. And then two, I started looking at what I was actually doing, how much I was exercising, um, the fasting routines I was taking, dietary exploration. I was, I was doing quite a few things and I was doing a lot of artwork too. So there were some mind-body connections there that I started pondering. And at 35, I started picking up 
intermittent fasting again. So at 35 is where I started to intermittently fast and I went to one meal a day. I played with the 18-6 cycle, which is where you have 18 hours of fasting, a six hour eating window. And what I found over time was that the one meal a day was where I actually saw weight shift. And I knew from prior experience that part of that was my organs were getting a rest. I was getting a rest and I was also taking in less calories and it's just a simple arithmetic sometimes. For some people it is true, calories in, calories out makes a difference. For other people, that's not the case. They can, it's not a numbers game for them, but for some people it is and I think that's a good thing to remember. Some, for some people that is true and for me, for a period of time, that was true. Calories in and calories out mattered and so at 35 I started doing it again but I started seeing plateaus in my weight. And, I've, and I'm, I haven't figured this out, you guys, first and foremost. Like me figuring out to reignite, restabilize, re-engage, and recuperate my metabolism, I haven't figured it out fully. Like this is fully a, an active evolution right now in my life. But I'm seeing improvements. Things are getting better. I'm slowly cracking the code, and that's the way I think it's good to think about all of our health struggles and all of our health journeys. It's a journey of exploration. You're just going through trying things and seeing what works, which is again why I stress experience trumps dogma and theory. All the theory in the world is not necessarily going to guide you to the light. It may, it may not. So be willing to try things and get outside your theory, get outside of your dogma, get outside of the, the mental constructs that the culture, society, and traditions have told you and try some things because we're all so different. You know, each fingerprint is different on every person. Every face is different. No two people are alike. So with that comes some very real dynamic variety. So at 35, I start fasting again, intermittent fasting. Saw plateaus though. That started to happen. I thought, hmm, what's up? Why is it that I can go from one meal a day to eating whatever I want, losing weight, and then all of a sudden that rhythm stops working? thought, well, what the fuck? You know, like, why? Why now? What, what has happened? And then I started playing with, you know, strictly paleo and intermittent fasting and then not seeing any result. And then trying the carnivore diet for a period of about two and a half months, 10 weeks, and then seeing effect, but then nothing happening. And it started to get me thinking about the frequency of meals and it started to open up this whole thing. And recently, as of a couple months ago, this is where I started going back to actually prolonged fasting. And again, Chinese medicine is a naturalistic philosophy. And when I think of it at the most rudimentary level like that, natural observation in the natural world, we didn't eat for long periods of time. It was not normal. It's not normal for any animal for the most part to just be gorging themselves every single day and being satiated every single day. Most animals and in the natural world, lions, you know, tigers and bears, they all have periods where they don't eat for sometimes days on end. And when we were in the pioneer days and we were hunting food, sometimes you'd be working hard for days on end with no hunt or no kill from the hunt. And that was a reality. And nowadays we have food at our fingertips so easy. We can have food delivered to our door. I mean, it's what I call diseases of affluence. We have so much at our fingertips. It's so posh. It's so cush. It's so easy that it's very easy, I think, for the body to just get out of whack from eating too much. And then it's a mental and emotional habit to eat. And 
you know, I eat a clean diet, but there's a lot of bullshit food out there. Processed foods, high fructose corn syrup, you know, GMOs, I mean, you name it. Vegetable oils that are highly processed and you have to have solvents to get the fats out of these plants. It's not a, it, there's a lot of garbage food. And so with it, this compounds that problem. Now, something happened during this fast that really started to get my mind thinking in a different way and it got me into this idea of rhythms. So around day two, around the 48 hour mark, I started to get very mentally clear and my thought processes started to, to clear up and I started to have new ideas. And I started thinking about the rhythms in which I've been fasting and intermittently fasting. And I think what it was, and part of it is, I'm, what I'm gonna tinker with here in the coming months is, it was too consistent. So if we work out, we know if we listen to like the fitness gurus and the people that are doing all of the you know workout material stuff, they'll say, you can't do the same exercise every single day because the body will get complacent and it will adapt to that thing. It will, it will basically um, plateau your results because the body is smart. It wants to adapt and it wants to be on point to deal with it with what you're putting into it, right? The the stresses and the stimuluses and the food. And so what I was thinking was. You know, I started to see a plateau after about a year of one meal a day, which was the same exact rhythm every single time. And I thought, that's not really natural either. There's there's variety and um, arrhythmias in, in our activities and in the natural world. We don't eat every day. Sometimes we might go three days without eating. Some days we might go, or some you know months, we might go 10 days without eating. And then feast, right? Feast or famine. We might have a hunt. And, and kill something and we might be eating for days on end, just you know, gorging ourselves and then not eat for another 10 days. Who knows, but the, rhythm, the point is the rhythm wasn't probably consistent. And so it got me thinking, moving forward, I think what I'm gonna start doing with my fasting routines and with my eating routines is, say if I start a fast on, if I eat on Monday morning and I decide to have a meal, I might, instead of just going to Tuesday morning and having that be a 24 hour fast, I might just let myself go to Tuesday night and have it be, you know, instead of 24, maybe 36 hours and then alternating and fluctuating that. Maybe for three days I have one meal a day and then have a 48 hour fast and then maybe have, you know, an 18-6 eating cycle for two days. But I'm really going to start to try, my, my goal, my intent is to be very adaptive and receptive and listening to my body and my cravings and my instincts and letting it be a little bit erratic, you know, consistently inconsistent. And I think that's a piece because I think that's maybe where the missing link has been for me a little bit. And it's sort of like, you know, the, the lever for weight loss may be prolonged fasts for a period of time or, you know, some intermittent fasting or some regular eating over a weekend, just two days where I just, you know, I'm gonna eat regular. I'm gonna have two meals a day or three that are small and reasonable. And then when I feel too heavy and congested, I fast. So I'm gonna start working on that, but this really, this rhythm, this um, inconsistent rhythm idea is really came to the forefront. I thought, boy, this is something worth exploring because I think that is actually more natural. So the, the game is, in an unnatural world to a degree where we have so much technology, how do you listen to this? I mean, I'll, I'll tell you later, you know, I'll make other episodes <laughs> as this process evolves, but that's sort of what I'm thinking. So in terms of just the fast and talking about you know, explicitly what happened, the first 48 hours, I would say, were the roughest. And they weren't even rough. But out of the four days, the first two are were the most difficult. And the reason for that was mainly mental and emotional. 
I just, I'm a foodie. You guys know me. I love to cook. I love flavors. It's, it's an art for me. So both my parents love to cook. I was always in the kitchen growing up. I make good food. And so to, to have that relationship taken away, it was mainly mental and emotional the first couple of days. I just thought, man, I want to eat something. You know, part of my, my rhythms with eating is that if I have one meal a day, I really look forward to that meal. It's sort of like a celebration, right? It's like reaching the goal line. And so to take the goal line out and be like, yeah, there's the goal lines four days away was kind of a bummer mentally and emotionally. And it is what it is, but I dealed with, I dealt with it and I just sat with it and you know, it moved forward. But the first 48 hours were where I felt, yeah, I felt emotionally and mentally sort of taxed. That's where it hit. But then as soon as that 48 hour passed, this is where the energy comes through. This is where your body goes, okay, we're not eating. So if we're not eating, let's adapt to this and start cleaning up shop on the inside. And that's what it felt like. I mean, at the two, right after the two-day mark, I started to get that, that, what they call the fasting high. So I felt like my eyelids were opening wider. I felt like I was breathing better. All joint inflammation across the board through my body was down. The puffiness that sometimes I get in my face from too much salt or too much alcohol during the holidays or, or whatever it is that I'm doing that's maybe a little out of whack, all of that starts to go down. And mental clarity goes up. Energy goes up. On the, on the second day or the third day, I ended up writing to my Tai Chi class that I teach on Tuesday and Thursdays, and I have a really beautiful bike canal path that I can take all the way to the yoga studio without any street traffic. And I ended up doing that at seven o'clock at night. And I mean, it was, you know, 46 degrees. And I rode there in my, you know, sweatpants and a t-shirt and a helmet, of course, and lights and whatnot. But I, I had so much energy and I wasn't cold. And I remember thinking, God, what a, what a mind fuck to be, you know, two days in, a little over two days with no eating. And then to have this surplus of heat and energy running through my body was sort of a testament that the body is adaptable and it will, it will, it will do what it needs to given what you are doing. And especially in the context of something like this, right? I have, I have, I have reserved, I'm a big framed guy. So that was really cool to see that that energy level started to boost after the 48 hour mark. So the thing I will say to people is if they, if you guys are considering doing fasting and you're wanting to do a 48 hour fast, that's awesome. That's kick ass and definitely, uh, you know, work your way up. We'll talk about cautions and the, and the suggestions I kind of give at the end, but also no for at least for me 48 hours was just at the that's that's the that's the like minimum time i got to where the benefits really started to show so it's sort of like 48 hours is great and you made it and then also right after that is some pretty cool stuff there's a, there's a there's a new window that opens up after 48 hours and there are videos on youtube talking about this the timeline of what happens hour to hour as you fast so this was true for me at the 48 hour mark energy went up so Outside of that, okay, outside of the energy boost that came up, on the 72-hour mark, okay, as I reached like day three, this is where what I would call like the mental clarity that came through, it's very hard to explain. It felt like if you had a dirty windshield that hadn't been cleaned in months and you finally got to go to the gas station, take some soap and you got to like, you know, squeegee the glass, Everything became very clear. Everything slowed down. And I had this mental clarity that I just, I was sort of floored by. I mean, I haven't felt it in a long time to be that clear. And it was a simple, 
a simple math, which is there's just nothing in there. There's nothing in my body. So my body is just sort of running on other stuff. You know, what that other stuff is, yeah, fat, ketones, there's all kinds of science, but I mean, at the, in, at the Chinese medicine level too, it's like you can actually feel your consciousness permeating your body a little differently because it's not being bogged down by the process of digestion. So it's sort of like people, when they say this about um, people that are blind or deaf, you know, they lose a sense and then the other senses will compensate and sort of allocate um, and, and become stronger because one sense has actually turned down. I mean, this is the way it felt with the fasting. You stop eating and digesting, well, you're going to have some extra energy and it's got to be allocated somewhere. And where it allocated for me was mental clarity, big time, which was cool, which was really nice to have. Now, some of you are going to be like, great, this is TMI, what I'm about to tell you. But, you know, in Chinese medicine school, we talk about bowels, size, color, frequency, how often, you know, what are you doing? What's it look like? What's it smell like? So, yes, I'm going to tell you that on the 72-hour mark, almost to the hour, three days in, I go to the bathroom and take a sizable dump. And I'm like, what in the fuck? Really? Like, is this... I haven't eaten in three days. So what is this? And it was well-formed. Um... You know, I would say it smelled kind of like what, you know, regularly smells like. It wasn't horrific. It wasn't great. It's just, you know, what, you know, shit doesn't smell great. But it was just like, okay, here it is. Like, this is what just happened. And I I was sort of floored. I just sat there on the toilet like, what? Like three days. Three days for my body to finally start getting rid of whatever was in there. Because I hadn't had a meal. So this was just old fecal matter. And I live a pretty clean life. You know, I, I, I eat organic. I, I drink good water. You know, I, I take appropriate supplements. I take tonic herbs. I sauna. You know, I breathe. I exercise. I do Tai Chi. Like, I live a pretty clean life. And here I was, you know, a relatively non-toxic guy for the most part. Do, you know, still, like, having, like, this slow bowel release three days later. Now, what was interesting about this, and I haven't made sense of this yet, and I'm still going to ponder it. You guys can, you know, share your thoughts but it's very normal as you fast that your extremities, your, your fingertips and your toes, you might f- have fluctuations and experiences of feeling cold. And that's because your, your metabolic rate is sometimes slowing, which is normal. And it is also sometimes revving up depending on your constitution. But your metabolic rate and what your m- metabolism is doing during fasting does a little bit of this, a little bit of the roller coaster up and down. And it's different for everybody depending on what your body's trying to do. So my hands, which are always warm, my feet, which are always warm, had been cold for most of that day. Like they had, they'd just been cool. And as soon as I went to the bathroom and had that bowel movement, instantly my fingers got warm and my toes got warm. It was almost, it was almost as if as the bowel exited, the circulation in my body you know, went to the extremities. It was very strange. Like I felt, you know, I felt it drop into the toilet. And as it did, I just felt the blood coming back to my fingertips. And I thought that is so strange. And I haven't made sense of that, but I just thought it was definitely interesting to say the least. So the other piece of this is that at the 72 hour mark, okay, I I, I go to the bathroom and the next day on day four, I end up having sort of like, kind of like diarrhea, like, you know, fecal matter coming out. And it wasn't a ton. But what did come out smelled terrible, you know, and some of you guys are like, oh, gross, great. I don't want to hear about your shits, but this is the reality of fasting and what the body is doing as it's cleaning out. And 
it's true. It smelled terrible. I was like, whoo, what is that? Like that is not, that's not supposed to be in there. Like it, it, it wasn't good. But at the same time, I also was very aware that like, good, you know, whatever's in there that's, that's, that's evacuating four days out, my body is doing what it's supposed to. It's, it's pushing out the things that it doesn't need anymore. And so that happened. And I, on that day four, I had two more bowel movements like that where stuff was just evacuating and coming out. And when it did, um, both times there was like, you know, I'd say a, a 10% increase in energy. Like I get up and I felt lighter and clearer. So it did feel like a detox, you know, as I had those bowel movements, like it really did. I felt like as, as it left my body, more energy was available and that felt really good. So that was cool. And the piece that I, that I really thought about during this fasting pieces is that we so often don't give our bodies enough credit. I don't think there's any greater instrument in existence than the human body. I mean, the human body, and I think organisms in general, animals, animal life and whatnot, but that the intricacy of how our bodies work and how many moving parts, it's incredibly intelligent and it's incredibly resilient. People have been, you know, trying to survive in nature since the dawn of time and only until, you know, recent times have we really had these luxuries to not be doing that. But you know, a lot of toughness and a lot of resiliency, a lot of adaptation had to happen for the human organism to get to this place in human history. We, we, we had to do a lot and we had to be incredibly tough to do that. And that's what I started to feel. I got reconnected with that during this fast. I thought, here I am four days, like I'm fine. You know, I could have gone longer. And I, the only reason I didn't go longer, to be honest, is because Eric Dietz and, and, uh, and James, my, two of my, my buddies, they have, they have a birthday coming up on Saturday and they're like, there's a party. There's going to be like, you know, birthday and beers. And I thought, you know, I'm not going to be an idiot and like break my fast that morning and just to have my body be hypersensitive if I'm going to go and socialize and, and drink a little bit with my friends. And I wanted to be there for that. So I was like, I'm going to break my fast on Friday. I'm sorry, Thursday night, eat regularly on Friday. So my body is adapted so I can actually have fun on Saturday. That's I mean, that's the rhythm I like in life. So I was like, I'm not going to go longer. I'm actually going to stick to the plan, but I could have, I could have easily gone a little bit longer and I felt really good about it. I thought, boy, my body's like, I don't ever need to eat again. You know, you start to get into that psycho place a little bit of like, I don't need food. And I think that is what these traditions talk about when they talk about um, fasting, cleansing the spirit a little bit. It's because you start to realize you can run on spirit. You can run on consciousness a little bit. You don't just need to be totally you know, reliant on the physicality of your experience. Sometimes you do, sometimes you don't. But I started to feel that. You start to get that euphoria and that like um, that a little bit of a delusional mind. I never need to eat again. I can do this. I have infinite energy. I'm just living off prana and chi, which, you know, is uh, not sustainable. I'm going to have to eat at some point, but that mindset kicks in. But that sense of resiliency was so cool to feel. I mean, it, it's, you, you walk, I walked a little taller. I felt a little tougher. Not that, you know, not like I'm ready for a bar fight, but I just thought, God, I'm, you know, the human organism is resilient. And that's really critically important to remember. We need temporal stressors. Chronic stress will kill you. Chronic pain, chronic raised blood pressure, chronic, um, you know, high cholesterol, chronic, everything, chronic, anything. Okay. Just chronic stress, chronic emotions. Okay. Anxiety, depression, sadness, 
These things, okay, lack of forgiveness, all of those things will make you sick too. Chronic stress of any kind. But what we're finding is temporal stress that comes and goes, very intense exercise where you get to rest, fasting where you get to leave food for a while, which is technically a stress, but you're going to eat again at some point. Hyperthermic training, right? Very intense heat with the sauna, ice plunging, very intense cold, both of which can kill you. But if it's intermittent and it's temporal and it comes and goes, the body has these adaptive responses that are incredibly good for us. And I think that's what I started to realize. I was like, it's good for me to do this. It's good for me to fast and have a little break and to get back in touch with that and let my body do what it naturally is designed to do, which is not eat all the time. People, animals, everything fasts in nature at some point, everything. So that was cool to feel. And I really was happy about that. And I have an ongoing joke with my wife who used to hate scary shit. She didn't ever watch a scary movie with me. It would drive me nuts because I love scary movies. She would never watch them. But after we had, we had my daughter Teal, something shifted and she wanted to watch The Walking Dead and she started watching zombie shows. And so now it's like the, it's the ongoing lens for a lot of questions like, so if it was The Walking Dead, what kind of vehicle would you want? If it was The Walking Dead, like, what would you do without food? What would you do without water? And the ongoing joke is because my wife is not a faster by, by nature. She definitely is like, has to have like, she's got a very fast metabolism. And so like the ongoing joke with, I was like, if this was the walking dead, I'd be winning. Like I would be surviving. You'd be in trouble. Like if this was four days in, you know? So, um, that energy piece was real, very nice to feel. And the, the piece that I, I want to talk about here too, is sort of the TCM lens, because I touched on this at the beginning, which was in Chinese medicine, they sort of frown upon fasting because you're, you're, you're starving the body, quote unquote, and you're depleting its reserves and, and you're taxing the spleen. And they see it pretty much the lens of all the bad things that are potentially happening, but there's no talk of the upswing or the benefit or the goodness that's coming out of that process. And that's always been problematic. And that's sort of a, a filter that I've taken forward from being in Chinese medicine in, in this field is that if a tradition or a dogma doesn't talk about the pros and the cons, the light and the dark, the yin and the yang, I have a little bit of a red flag come up because I'm, I think some things, yes, are explicitly terrible for you. That's going to always be true. But if it's something like fasting, that's a natural process and they just say, no, it's bad. Just stay away from it. It's the devil. I, I have a little bit of a caution. I, I, I pump the brakes a little and I'm like, wait a minute, hold on. We've been doing this since the dawn of time. So there might be some merit to it. And it's a natural cycle. So let's let's consider this. But Chinese medicine says this, you know, when we are in utero, a lot of the energetics of what's happening, um, how our body is shaping the relationship we have with the mother, this is ruled and a lot by the kidney energetics, okay? What they call prenatal energy. Now, as soon as you are earthside and you, you know, you exit the mama and you are walking earthside and living life, the rules of Chinese medicine say from this point forward, breathing, eating, and thinking are basically going to be how you absorb energy from now on and what you feel. So with that, you need to nourish that. Right? You need to take food in to nourish your constitutional essence. You need to breathe appropriately to nourish your constitutional genetics. And that's, that's how they see it. Now, the spleen, the stomach, and the lungs are like sort of the primary organs where we make a lot of our chi. The, the the, the, the lungs, they say, regulate the chi in the body and sort of move it and circulate it. 
But the spleen and stomach, these, these, these two organs are the ones that are breaking down food and helping transform food and bringing in that sustenance so we can make vital energy on a day-to-day -day basis. Now, the problem is the spleen is very easily taxed. It's like one of the first organs to get hit. Like if we get fatigued or if we're overworking, the spleen and the kidneys both get hit. So the point is, Chinese medicine doesn't fully support it. But what I started to realize on this was that, you know, it felt like my stomach and my abdomen actually, not just from adipose tissue, not just from, you know, fat going down, but it actually felt like my musculature and the organs inside relaxed and my waist got a little bit thinner because... Things were pulling in because there was nothing in there. And I, on the third night when I was going to bed, I really started to feel that surplus of energy in my abdomen. I thought, God, this feels good to not have anything in here. There's so much less stress in a way to not have anything in there. Now, Chinese medicine, like I said, doesn't love this idea of taking food out for a period of time. Not true for me. So again, you know, I, I'm a Chinese medicine practitioner. I love the theory. I educate on this theory. I try to implement it into my platform. But at the same time, not all of it lines up. And that's okay. And that's the encouragement I try to give to everybody. The dogma doesn't have to fit across the board completely. So the idea that I like from Chinese medicine that I kind of would like to build off of and like, you know, add to Chinese medicine is this. They say that, you know, the if you think of... If you think of Chinese, um, I'm sorry, not Chinese, if you think of the spleen and stomach as a garden, okay? And if you think of our digestive process as a garden, the seeds we plant are sort of like the meals we eat, okay? If we put, if we put food into our body, that's going to grow and produce a certain energy that we can use for living. If we plant a seed in a garden, that seed goes into the soil and it grows into a plant that bears fruit, right? It grows into something. It produces something. Same with a meal. We take it in, it produces something. So if we think of this garden analogy, when you plant seeds in a garden, if you plant the seeds too close together, what happens? Plant if you plant plants too closely together, they compete for resources. What is yielded is a bunch of plants competing for resources in the soil and then you get subpar crops. This is why they have you space out certain plants. They say, you know, tomatoes need a certain amount of room. Zucchini need a certain amount of room. You've got to plan accordingly when you plant the garden to not have them too close together. So if we think of each one of these plants as a meal that's been planted into the soil, into our body, we need to have some space between them. If we overcrowd the garden, we yield shitty crops. And if we overplant our meals into our body, we get shitty energy eventually. That, that again, diseases of affluence, too much excess, too much, too much, basically just too much. So having some space, that's an idea that really started to swing through as I was thinking about this um, during the fasting thing was, you know, plant your garden with space so the plants can grow into something good. And the same is true for your meals. Space those meals out, play with rhythms, right? Give that soil, that digestive system a period for that topsoil, for the bugs to break down everything inside of that soil so that so the soil is rich. And I could feel that in my body. It really felt like that. Like these meals are sort of like seeds planted. And that felt good to have that um, come through. So this last part I want to talk about, um, cautions, constitutions, timing, and supplements. So the cautions, all right? So with people that are that are fasting, I always say this, you guys, and you guys know this, I am not a medical doctor. 
you always should talk to your primary care physician, your primary you know, healthcare practitioner about these kinds of things before you embark on a fast. I think that's a great thing to do. So what I'm you know, giving to you here is educational information, okay? Anecdotal experiential information. I'm not, I'm not consulting you. That's not what this is. You have to do your own research, talk to your doctors, talk to your primary healthcare practitioners, and then explore on your own and see what you find. But the thing I will say is this, people that are naturally hypoglycemic, that don't do well with, you know, they, they need consistent meals, you've got to be careful if you're going to do fasting because your that type of constitution doesn't do well. Um, the other thing is this, I mentioned before I started when I posted on uh, Facebook and on Instagram saying that I'm the supplements I'm taking, okay, what I'm doing is every single day and sometimes multiple times a day, I took daily liquid electrolytes, I took trace minerals, and I would always put a little salt in my water. And the salt is just to, to you know, boost up the electrolyte content. Uh, Himal pink Himalayan salt specifically. Don't eat white Morton's table salt. That stuff is poison. It's like processed sugar. So get a quality salt, a mineral salt, a sea salt, a Himalayan salt, a, a lava salt, whatever it is you do. But I was doing that because what happens is, is when you are in a ket ketosis state, which is what happens when you fast, your body doesn't have carbohydrates in it. Carbohydrates typically help us retain water and fluid. When we take carbohydrates out of the diet, especially on a carnivore diet or a ketogenic diet, we start peeing out and urinating the fluids out. And with that comes a loss of electrolytes, trace minerals. There's all kinds of things that sort of go out. So when you're fasting, it's really critical that you're supplementing with electrolytes and salt and these kinds of things, and it makes the fasting process considerably easier. And I can tell you from having fasted with and without those things, it is much easier with these supplements. So consider that, that you want to be taking these things while you fast. Now, constitutions. Chinese medicine is big on this. Ayurveda is big on this. Ayurveda has the three primary doshas, what they call it. It's like the constitutional profiles, which is um, pitta, vata, and kapha. Chinese medicine has also its breakdown of body types. I'm not gonna go into all of them because there's more than just those three primaries that the Ayurvedic system talks about. But the idea is this, people that are prone to excess, someone like my frame who runs six foot two, big German Spanish genes, I'm prone to, I'm prone to excess. I've always carried a little extra earthy flesh on my body, always. Even at my leanest, I always had a little bit of extra earth on me. And that's just the way my constitution runs. And for people like me, which are sort of the, what you would call the kapha in Ayurveda, where they're just, you know, they're, they're a little more rich and, 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 and heavy in their constitution. People like this are very well, well suited to fasting. So basically, if you have excess on your body, you have extra weight on you, you are a larger frame, you have large musculature, bigger bones. These are the people that are actually really going to probably thrive with fasting. It's not always an absolute, okay? None of this stuff is absolute, but often it's like that. So that's something to consider. Now, if you are rail thin, you have the Brad Pitt physique and you are naturally super thin and you can, for the most part, eat whatever you want and stay very thin, fasting is still gonna be very good for you, but shorter durations are probably gonna be better and you have gotta be very mindful because naturally thin people will lose sometimes 10, 12, 15 pounds on a four-day fast or even a three-day fast. And that's very quick to lose that much weight which is sort of a testament to if that constitution was in the wild, 
they would have a very different ball of wax in terms of survival. Someone like me, I would last longer simply because my body holds that extra earth longer. So, you know, in the natural world, it's, uh, you know, technically, like, I think it's like a good thing for me, right? In the, in the modern day American world where everyone's got six packs and they're ripped, it's like, well, fuck, you know, damn it. You know, <laughs> it's totally not my jam completely. Um, but it is what it is. You know, I'm grateful for how my body runs and how it works. And I'm learning to really appreciate the resiliency and strength that my body carries. So keep these timing pieces in mind, okay? If you're super lean, start with shorter fasts. Start with intermittent fasting, which is where you do 12 hours of night eating, 14 hours of night eating, 16, 18. You know, stick to that if you're very lean and thin. Start small. And as you work your way up, you can work your up work your way up a little higher if you're very lean. Now, if you are naturally robust and sort of big and thick, then I would say, you know, you can probably start with a 24-hour fast. Most likely, again, no absolutes, but most likely you can start with longer. And so for someone like my constitution, I have not done a four-day fast in at least 10 years, and I knew my body well enough. I thought, I can do this for sure. I've intermittently fasted and done 24-hour fast with ease. This isn't going to be hard for me, and it wasn't. I had a little bit of struggle uh, yesterday on my last day only because my wife and daughter are sick. They're on the mend, so they're doing better. But my wife was coughing all night, and I had so much energy on that last night that I thought, good God, I'm going to have to do something here just to, you know, I was up, I mean, I had been laying in bed up until 2 a.m. wide awake, like I had just woken up at 6 a.m. So um, I had a little trouble that day, and then, you know, the day, because I was fasting and I didn't get much sleep that night, when I got up the next, this, that last day, I was, I was tired. I was like, okay, if I'm fasting, if any of you are fasting, you're going to need to get quality sleep too. If you do not get good sleep while you're fasting, you're going to feel it. And I definitely felt it. I thought, damn, like I need quality sleep if I'm fasting. You need it anytime, but especially when you're fasting because your body's doing some cleaning. It's cleaning house. So those were the big, um, pieces of this experience. These are kind of like the big building blocks, the, the main primary things I wanted to go over. The last thing I will say, which I don't think I would do again, was on that, that night when I was having trouble sleeping, I thought, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to vaporize some cannabis because I want to go to sleep. I just, I just need something to like ratchet my system down a little bit. And so I like cannabis. I enjoy cannabis. I think cannabis has some very real health benefits. Um, I'm not, I try not to be excessive with it. It's something I intermittently play with. But I loaded up my vaporizer, I imbibed the cannabis, and I was like, oh, this is nice. And I imbibed it like I normally would have. And that was my mistake because typically I have food and everything in my system. So needless to say, when I hit that and I was laying in bed, after about 10 minutes, I shot up in bed and thought, oh my God, I'm so incredibly high. Now what the hell am I going to do? And I had to get up and I had to move. This is what happens if that kind of thing happens. If I, if I have too much cannabis, I have to move. I have to circulate it. And so I was up for another 90 minutes doing Tai Chi in my room, trying to just get my mind back because my body was so open from not eating that whatever I put into it, I mean, it felt like the effects of the cannabis were about four to five times what they normally were. It, it was way overwhelming. I didn't enjoy it. I thought, damn it, like this, that was not the move. So be mindful, okay? Like if you decide to do that because it's no calorie, like technically you're right. 
If you're going to do it, start small. I wish I would have, you know, taken one breath of cannabis and just waited to see where it had gotten me. And then it might have helped me. I might have been able to go to sleep, but it didn't really work. It was it, it had the counter effect. And so part of why I was I was tired the next day. So this is the wrap up of this episode, you guys. I hope you guys got some value out of it. I hope that you explore fasting. Please feel free to reach out to me if you guys have questions. And if you guys are willing, um, please post your questions on social media. You can do it on YouTube as well, but actually post your questions because I think as people see questions and if I can answer them, it just opens up that larger dialogue so people can think about it from a few different angles. More minds asking questions is always great. So feel free to post a question on Facebook, um, you know, on Instagram, on my YouTube channel under Gray Estrada. Um, I would love to hear your thoughts, your experiences, and if people are fasting, you know, what are your experiences? I would love to hear about that. And my last piece of this is just the encouragement to consider fasting. We live in a world right now, you guys, where there's so much excess and we have so much at our fingertips. We rarely get these temporal stressors. We just don't get them that often. And if we don't get them, the body actually becomes less resilient. It becomes bogged down with the comfort. And we need, we need some resiliency. We need to be challenged. And this is one of the ways you can do it. And the benefits, the mental clarity, the energy, the mindset, the feeling in your body is awesome. Like, I mean, that's the, that's the big takeaway. I feel great. I feel so good right now. I've had, um, oh shit, before I close this up, I didn't even tell you guys what I broke my fast with. I posted on social media, so a lot of you probably already know. But this, this was like a critical piece. So I'll tell you what I ate, then we'll close this episode out. So what I ate, all right? First of all, the first day I'm like, Oh my God, when Thursday night rolls around, I'm going to New Lei Wa, the Chinese restaurant. I'm getting, you know, salt baked pork and I'm getting, I mean, I had in my head, I was like the first day I'm like, so am I going to have pesto pizza? What am I going to do? Am I going to have, am I going to have a ribeye steak? I mean, I was running through in the first day. It's just cravings. It's just like, oh my God, I'm not going to eat for four days. What am I going to eat at the end? Right. It was very unrealistic and juvenile and it was awesome to like fantasize about all the cool food. But as the days went on, those appetites changed very quickly. There was a period where I wanted like strawberries. There was a period where I wanted, um, I wanted like beet kvass. There was a period where I wanted bacon. Like it had these weird things. And then where it finally settled, okay, like the day, that night after I taught Tai Chi and I was going home to eat, I knew that morning what, I, what part of it was. Part of it was bone broth. So on the last day of my fast, I went to the co-op. I got my pressure cooker. I made an awesome kick-ass bone broth, which is super delicious. If you guys want the recipe, hit me up. I have an infographic on how to make it. But I knew bone broth was a piece of it. I could feel that. I was like, okay, bone broth for sure. It's easy to digest. It's nutrient dense. It's got fats in it. So bone broth was a piece. So my break fast, okay, which is the root word of breakfast, by the way, my break fast meal was bone broth, okay? Kick-ass bone broth, really tasty, grass-fed bones, organic. It was awesome. So I had that, I had a can of sardines from Wild Planet. I had um, a can of smoked oysters, blue cheese crumbles, and kimchi, which I know you guys are like, what the fuck? Like the gray, like that doesn't sound good. <laughs> like except for the bone broth maybe. But all I can say is that after four days, your body gets highly sensitive and it gets very intuitive as to what it wants. And those were the things my body wanted. Now, mind you, I love all of those foods. 
I love bone broth. I love sardines. I love oysters. I love blue cheese. And I love kimchi. All of those things I love. But there are a lot of foods that I really enjoy and that I love. And these were the ones that my body was like, please eat these. And it wasn't a ton of food. I had maybe eight ounces of bone broth. A can of sardines is maybe 300 calories. Uh, oysters, maybe a same or a little less. The blue cheese was, I don't know, maybe you know 80 calories. And then the kimchi is very low in calories. It's just vegetable, fermented vegetables. So I think my, my, my breakfast may have been a 700 calorie meal, 600 calories, something like that. It wasn't a ton, but that's good when you come off the fast because the stomach organ, the pouch that holds the food, has actually like you know deflated some. It's actually gotten a little smaller. It hasn't been digesting food. It hasn't been stretched out. So I was full after those that quantity of food, but as soon as I ate it, I felt like a million bucks. And when I took my first bite, I took my first bite of you know oysters and sardines with blue cheese. I mean, I just started to laugh. I was like in my kitchen. I didn't even sit down. I came in. I just opened the fridge. I was standing there, you know, in the fridge light with this bowl just giggling like a fool like like just so stoked to be eating first of all and it was celebratory and it felt so good to to be crossing the finish line and i was like this is awesome like good lord and the food tasted amazing like amazing i mean that, that was the other piece i was so floored by how good it tasted i'm a taste person i have a big nose like big nostrils i have a good sense of smell that's why i like to cook and i know what these foods taste like but damn did it taste good and I had bone broth this morning. Today is going to be a loose, relaxed day. I'm not going to overeat and just gorge myself beyond belief. That's a, that's a pitfall you don't want to fall into is like be moderate. You know, when you come back into this, go slow. But I'm going to eat regular today. Like whenever I feel like I want to, you know, if I want a little something, I'm going to eat it. Um, part of it is like, it's not like I've earned it. It's like, yeah, you could say that technically, but I'm just listening to my body. I also realized four days of fasting, you know, it is what it is. There, there's, a, there's a stress there. It's a mild stressor. So bone broth today, um, I'll probably do some kind of, you know, meat and vegetable tonight, something hearty, but, but, you know, reasonable. So food tastes amazing. You guys, that is sort of the light at the end of the tunnel is that the food tastes epic when you get back. I mean, you really appreciate how, (laughs) how beautiful food is. And I definitely did. So that's what I ate. Um, again, I hope you guys found value in this. Please hit me up if you have questions. If you guys are looking to fast, you know, I encourage it and always feel free to reach out. So thank you for your time. Thank you for listening. Be sure to like and subscribe on YouTube, you guys. You know, subscribe, hit that bell notification button if you guys want to stay up to date with my content um, and the podcast. So thanks again, you guys. Take care.